The scripture lesson this morning is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been faced with uh, one of those experiences where you kind of have to question, is it my responsibility to do something? I find that pretty often whenever I'm watching college football games and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure it's my responsibility to go coach these teams because they're kind of a mess right now. No, I, I, but, but truly, have you ever wondered if you were supposed to do something but then decided that it was somebody else's job? Somebody else is supposed to do this, not me. Have you ever wondered, what's my role in this? For anything in life, whether it's helping somebody out, whether it's something that you have to do at work to begin with, maybe it's something around the house, maybe it's just something we stumble upon. You see, we have this funny tendency to defer action that we are capable of taking and sending it towards somebody else, saying, this isn't my responsibility. I don't really know why. Maybe it's because we're scared to act. Maybe it's because we're lazy. Uh, that probably applies to me more often than not. And maybe it's just because we feel like we don't have time because we've just packed our schedules out so full that there's no way I could spend another second of my day doing something other than what's scheduled. I really don't know what the reason might be. Maybe there are other things. But I don't think that the reasons why we do this are as important as the fact that we don't. In fact, those just might be excuses more than anything because the reality that we do face is that we might be idle people, that we might feel like something is not our responsibility. Today is a day when I get to make people uncomfortable. It's the great job of a pastor is I get to just kind of step on some toes every now and then. We see as early in Scripture as Genesis chapter 4, the play on pushing responsibility away from ourselves. Genesis chapter 4 is the story of Cain and Abel. 
And uh, yeah, you know, brotherly quarrels, one of them ends up dead, classic sibling rivalry. Until God, thank you for that pity laugh, I appreciate it. Until God comes calling and says, where is Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the classic answer is, yes, of course you are. You're supposed to take care of your brother. Why would you be so silly as to not to? But we see this continue to play out in Scripture. I'd jump ahead a couple of centuries until we get to the point when Jesus is on trial. right? And, and Jesus is on trial just for being somebody who makes people religiously upset and politically upset. And Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And Pilate's just kind of like, this is an awkward situation. These people are yelling at me. This guy clearly hasn't done anything wrong. So what does he do? Washes his hands of it and defers responsibility to somebody else. And he tells the Jews, if you want him dead, you crucify him. It's on you now. We see this in our own lives as well, I think. I'm particularly fond of uh, a quote from John F. Kennedy during his inaugural address as he challenged every single American to contribute to the public good. He said the famous words, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Because he was seeing that people had this expectation that America is supposed to serve me, when in reality, we are the servants of the public good. Or perhaps you prefer the words of the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of an oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse, and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. Idleness, inaction, slothfulness, avoiding responsibility, are a blight on our society. And I would go so far as to say, idleness is the enemy of the church's mission. And here's what I mean by that. We, we often forget, uh, as we're picking out like the, the next uh, color of the carpet in the sanctuary, or whenever we're looking at paint and stuff like that, we, we often forget that the church does not exist for our comfort or our control. It exists for the world's transformation. And it takes a lot of work to organize order out of chaos. This is where the second law of thermodynamics comes into play. Mm, gotta love some physics, right? I know Charles is familiar. Anybody else know the second law of thermodynamics? It can be summed up in one word. Entropy. Thanks, George. You got it. <laughs> Entropy. It's this, uh, the, the, to really put it in a nutshell, the second law of thermodynamics states that chaos will always increase unless energy is exerted to reverse the process. Chaos will always increase unless energy is exerted to reverse the process. We see this in every aspect of our everyday life, uh, from the way that, uh, the way that you know, darkness kind of settles in unless we turn on the lights, or the way that it gets colder unless there's heat coming into the building, things like this. We see this law taking place every aspect of our lives, but this is an important one for us to consider uh, for the state of the church, because you see, our world is always moving toward chaos and disorder. 
It's just the natural flow of things. And the mission of the church is to supply the energy needed to reverse the chaos and provide goodness, harmony, peace, love, joy, compassion, mercy. But, as the second law of thermodynamics states, this is only possible if, and it's a big if, energy is being exerted. If someone or something is doing something. As such, idleness is the enemy of the church. The enemy of the church's mission to transform the world. So, we have the question before us. Who's going to do something about this? Who's going to bring about the transformation of the world? Whose responsibility is this? Is it Dolphin Way United Methodist? Maybe Ashland Place? Maybe we'll send it over to Christ UMC because they're bigger than us. Or uh, let's just get it out of the United Methodist Church altogether and we'll send it over to Cottage Hill Baptist. They seem to have a good thing going. Maybe we'll do Three Circle Church. They know what's up. City Hope. Multiple campuses, they got this. Church of the Highlands, largest growing church in the state of Alabama, they can take care of it. If this is the way that our church thinks, then we are part of the problem, part of the chaos. If we are going to defer our responsibility and remain idle, then we're not a church. We're kind of a social club where people come together to socialize and do little projects here and there so we feel good about ourselves. But the church does not exist for our comfort or control. It exists for the transformation of the world. The thing, then, that the church needs in order to fulfill its mission is the church needs somebody. At the beginning of this month, the Southeastern Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church met together. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with what this is, the United Methodist Church exists in uh, tiers of influence. We have the local church, which is what we are. We have the district, which ours is the Mobile District. Then we have the annual conference, which is the Al for us the Alabama-West Florida annual conference. Above that is the jurisdictional conference. This is where we have these groups of annual conferences. Ours is known as the Southeastern Jurisdiction, which is uh, Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, West Virginia, and Virginia. Ooh, somebody's going to call me out on that. I can't remember exactly. But that kind of group, southeastern jurisdiction. And then above that is the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. So the, the uh, jurisdictional conference met at the beginning of this month, and they do things like elect bishops. At this one, we had three new bishops elected to our jurisdiction, which is exactly what we needed because our bishops are exhausted. We found out that our beloved Bishop David Graves is going to be returning to be our bishop for another quadrennium, another four years, which is a huge relief for all of us who are pastors because we love him. He's fantastic. We also had many resolutions that came up that would be proposed at general conference to be voted on. And then there was also a memorial service for those bishops who had passed away since the last conference. During this memorial service, Bishop Mary Virginia Taylor spoke highly of each bishop and compelled us to live a life of faith 
with a heart of wisdom. In her sermon during the memorial service, she spoke of a meeting that she had with Representative Jim Clyburn, who is a uh, representative in the, uh, um, the House of Representatives, the national one, not like a state-level one. Uh, he's from South Carolina, but she met with him, and he was recounting for her a significant turning point in his life. Uh, Jim Clyburn's father was an, uh, an AME pastor, an African Methodist Episcopal uh, pastor, and Jim and his uh, father were coming back from a preaching engagement one evening, and as they were coming around the corner, they uh, saw up ahead that a large limb had fallen into the road. And Jim says to his father, that's dangerous. Somebody needs to move that limb. To which his father slams on the brakes, turns to Jim and says, you're somebody. Get out and move that limb. The church needs somebody, people. So I want to tell you about a little experiment I ran this morning as everybody was arriving. Around the church, the main portions of the church where people routinely walk through and pass through, there were 20 items of trash laying around the church. By my last count, only three had been moved. And you can see them lying around. Paper ball right here, napkins in the window. Maybe you have some tissues sitting next to you. Cup on the floor. Uh, there was a plastic bag in that windowsill, which got moved. I saw that was pretty awesome. There was a cup back there that got moved and a napkin back there that got moved. But there's another napkin back there, another one on the floor over here. There are uh, three items in the uh, entryway here and uh, two in the fellowship hall. And I just wanted to see, would anybody go out of their way to pick up that trash? <laughs> Miss Linda's like, oh, I did. I saw that. Yes, yeah, the one who walks around regularly around the neighborhood picking up trash. Absolutely. But still, so many pieces left lying around. And I know people walk past them because I was watching the whole time. I just wanted to see. I just wanted to observe. Would somebody pick up that trash? And if not, why not? Perhaps it's because we're just so caught up in the busyness and the franticness of the morning that we didn't even notice there was trash laying around. Maybe we saw it and thought, well, somebody's going to pick that up. Whatever it was, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to think. What do you feel is your responsibility around the church? What do you feel is your responsibility beyond the church. Because the church, if it's going to resist idleness, it needs somebody to make a difference. And I wonder, will you be that somebody? Remember for a moment the words that Isaiah spoke after God commissions him. God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responds, here am I, Lord, send me. Perhaps it is our responsibility. As Paul spoke in Romans 
uh, chapter 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul challenges us to question, how is anybody going to know the good news if somebody doesn't step up and take it to them? How is the church going to be an agency of transformation if somebody doesn't step up and get beyond the four walls? So here's my challenge for us today. Stand against idleness. And this kind of idleness that we're talking about is not rest. That's not what I'm talking about. We need rest. Please rest. We need vacations and time off, time to rest and recuperate and be revitalized. That's not the kind of idleness that I'm talking about. The kind of idleness I'm talking about comes from our Second Thessalonians passage in which the community of faith is condemned for thinking that it's another church's problem to take care of their community. They're just busybodies putting their priority on things that don't matter. And they're told, do not be weary in doing what is right. This kind of idleness is like rust. The longer it's kept unchecked, the more damage it does until it breaks. And y'all, I'm here to tell you, the church is not just getting rusty. It's rusted. And I don't just mean this church, I mean the church universal. It's rusted. It's edging toward breaking because we keep prioritizing things like schisms. We keep prioritizing things like these really unhelpful conversations instead of doing what is right, instead of being an agency of transformation for the world. The church is rested, and we need to do something about it. And whenever I say we, I need you to hear me say all of us. You are somebody. And we need you to do what needs to be done without waiting for somebody else to do it for you. We are on track towards chaos. And so it's time that the church put forth some energy and see some positive transformation for once. Let us stand against idleness because idleness is killing the church. And let us pray.